following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. All right, Titus, chapter 3 is where we're at today. So if you would, open up your Bible or electronic device that has a Bible on it. We are looking at the book of Titus, and the book of Titus is in the right-hand side of your Bible, um, and it's packed away in what we call um, the letters of the New Testament. And so in uh, the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the Gospels, the story of Jesus. Gospel simply means good news, the good news that Christ came, he died, he rose again, ascended to the right hand of God, seating there now, waiting to return again to rapture or redeem his people um, who have placed their faith and trust in the fact that his blood covers our sin. After you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get into the book of Acts, because Jesus gives us his spirit when we believe through faith that his blood covers our sin. And so he says, I'll give you a new spirit. And this new spirit sometimes is a good thing. And sometimes, man, you're like, I don't know what I was thinking, right? Because sometimes that spirit starts to convict you and it starts to teach you and it starts to tell you that you shouldn't participate in things that you participate in. And Jesus sometimes is your awkward friend, right? Because he's like, I don't know if you should do that. And you're like, thanks for the spirit. Amen. Anyone? Just me? Okay. Uh, Moving along. Um, so then you have, after the book of Acts, you have all these letters on how the church should conduct themselves in everyday endeavors. This is how you should act. This is how you should talk. This is how you should walk. This is how you should be. And Paul is one of our authors who pens this letter to a man named Titus, and he is a pastor serving a church called Crete. And as he ministers to the Cretans, the Cretans are crazy, and Titus loves them. And so does Paul. And so he gives them opportunity to know what God is, is, is doing and what he's all about. <clears throat> and as we open our Bibles to Titus chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 3 and we're going to go all the way through 7. And as you look at this passage of scripture, let's start in verse 3. It says, <clears throat> for we ourselves were once foolish and all God's people said, thank you. All right. <laughs> we were all once foolish. Foolish. Now, I know you know the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing Grace, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. It was penned by a guy named John Newton, and he was foolish. John Newton was a miserable man before Christ, and we resonate with him, and he was involved in this immoral lifestyle. And one day, John became so fed up with that foolish way that what he did was he was lost at sea, and as he was lost at sea, he cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I'm lost. I'm foolish. More uh, importantly, he says, I've also been disobedient. Keep going in verse 3. Led astray slaves, which is interesting to John Newton because John Newton actually bought and purchased slaves Various passions, things like the flesh and pleasures. He passed his days in malice and envy like we did. He hated other people. He hated one another. And so John Newton gives his life over to the Lord like we do. 
He confessed his sin, repented of that sin, believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And he said, my life is going to be perfect from here on out. (laughs) And he realized that that's not true. And so if you study the life of John Newton, you'll realize that he did this thing called backsliding over and over and over again. Constantly, he was wrestling with sins. And you're sitting here today in these pews, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what God would do with me when I uh, mistreat and misuse him. And here's the thing that we learn about Titus, and we learn about the Psalms, and we learn about Jonah, because we're going to study that in August, is that God is the God of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, and 15th chances. And no matter where you've been or how bad you've been this past week, thank God for his grace. Thank God for that amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So uh, today, what we're going to do is we are going to try to essentially remember our old selves, who we once were, so that we could recall that when we're walking about our every day, and then we're going to look at who we are now in Christ, If you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, this is going to make no sense to you. As a matter of fact, it's going to be impossible for you to live a new life without being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. To accept Christ is to confess and repent of your sin, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And you think to yourself, it can't be that easy. (laughs) The real question is, how difficult do you want God to make it, right? How hard is it? It's meant to be easily accessed and constantly depended on. So let's walk through who you were before you came to know Jesus, all right? Let's talk about this. This will be fun, I promise. So edifying and encouraging. You're gonna walk out of here singing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? Who was I? Well, go to verse three. Paul says, we were. Say, I was. Isn't that good? Not I am. I was. He emphasizes every believer's attitude before coming to Christ. Paul never forgot his sinful condition and neither should you. You should always remember what you are saved out of because it gives you ammunition to participate in what God has in store for you. Paul calls this his old self, the old man. He talks about it in a letter to uh, the church at Corinth. He talks about it in a letter to the church of Ephesus, the church of Colossae. And he says, believers, listen to me, brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded of where we came from, whether we like it or not. Some of you have a past, and you think to yourself, there's no way I could communicate that past to anybody. And here's the deal. Jesus already knows, right? Right? It's like when your uh, kids come up to you, they're like, Dad, uh, you're never gonna believe what I did. And you already know. And they walk through it, and they, they talk to you about it, and they give you all this stuff, all this information, and you go, I know. And they go, you did? Yeah, are you mad? No, I'm just disappointed. Worst words ever, amen? Worst words in the world. I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed in you. But let me tell you something. Even though I'm disappointed, we are giving second, third, and fourth chances. You were these things. Well, let's look at it. What am I these things? First thing, you were foolish. You were disobedient. You were deceived. All of those three traits are gonna go together. One goes to the next, which goes to the next. If you want to, you can circle the word foolish. A foolish person in the Greek means a stupid person. We're all stupid. (laughs) Thanks, Jesus, right? 
Literally, that word foolish means one that doesn't have a mind or no understanding. Since a fool's heart is off because they lack faith, there cannot be any good judgment that comes from that heart. So no matter how advanced you might be in your education or your accomplishments or any of those things, if you refuse to recognize and trust the Lord for deliverance from sin and death, you do not know the most important truth, and therefore you will fail to make any God-honoring decisions. A dear friend and brother who's in this congregation, who I will not mention their name, I told him the other day that I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a college-educated man. And he looked back at me and he said, that doesn't mean you know anything. (laughs) And I thought we were both foolish and disobedient and deceived, right? A foolish person at the core of themselves fails to trust the Lord, and we've all done that. We've all failed to trust the Lord. And because we failed to trust the Lord, we were disobedient, which means we hardened our heart and refused to seek truth, being persuaded to the gospel. We are like the Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Moses comes up, he says, let my people go, and he says, why should I? He doesn't give him a good, or he gives him a great reason, and Pharaoh doesn't care, and so he, he essentially renounces this whole thing, and he says, I am not gonna be persuaded to this gospel. In the New Testament, Paul is up against uh, massive political powers, And one of the political powers looks at Paul and he says, do you want me to become a Christian? Would you persuade me to become a Christian? And you know what he says to him? Not just you, but your whole entire family. That's not a disobedient, foolish, deceived heart. That's one that's been redeemed. We'll get there in a second, but I gotta give you a little glimmer of hope here, right? Because I'm kind of pummeling you a little bit. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Go ahead and go to the next one, Joe. It says that this foolish, disobedient heart is where everything evil comes from. There's a good list there. You can read that. Sure, maybe we have never manifested with our hands and feet these traits, but we've all done these things in our head. The foolish, disobedient, deceived, unregenerated, unsaved sinner, Paul tells Titus, is led astray as a slave to various passions and pleasures. And the word here that's used is one who wanders. Somebody asked me the other day, I said, Jordan, how you doing? And I said, I'm prone to wander. Are you prone to wander? I feel it, right? Like sometimes it's there, like a sheep without a shepherd. But thank God we have a shepherd. Matthew Henry, old commentator, he says it uh, like this. He says, man in his unsaved, unregenerated state, or woman, if you will, because we want to put everybody in this category, right, is prone to wander. Compared to a lost sheep that must be sought, brought back, guided in the right way. That person who doesn't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ is weak. And they are ready to be imposed upon by the wiles and the subsidies of Satan and of men lying in wait to seduce us and mislead us. Now, if you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, this is what you are susceptible to. You are open to that. If you're joining us online and, you're, and you're, you're, you're checking out our church, this is you, okay, before you come to Christ. I don't know about you. I don't want to live that way. Like, I like to have a defense. I like to have uh, something in front of me. So to reject Christ and stay in my sin is foolish. But some of us have already accepted Christ. So to go back to the old man is also foolish, Because we all continue to sin and commit sins, but for the first time, we have the power within us because of Christ to say no to being foolish, to saying no to being disobedient, to saying no to being deceived. 
Look at Romans chapter six, verse six. It says, for we know that our old sinful selves. Now, maybe you need to say this to yourself this morning, right? Maybe this is you. You need to speak this into the mirror in the mornings. I am crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I die with Christ. I'm set apart. I'm set free from the power of sin. God looks at you all the time and he says, if you have my spirit within you, you are fully capable to be released of that. The question is, are you disciplined enough? Are you willing to be disciplined enough? Okay, so let me beat you up a little bit more and myself while we're at it. All right. Look at the second part of verse three. You also live malicious and envious lives and you're hateful to one another. It actually says you were hated by others and hating one another in the English standard version of the text. So far from being peaceable or considerate or humble, you let pride rule your life before Christ and you're characterized by these three things. Now, you may not know what malice means or, or maliciousness is. Maliciousness means anything that is lacking social value. It is empty. A malicious person is only concerned with themselves. They could care less about seeing other people suffer, experience pain or injury or distress. That is a malicious person, and it happens in the church. And I hate it. A pastor's heart hurts. We are not malicious people. We are concerned when other people suffer. We are concerned when other people experience pain and injury and distress. Keep going. Envious people mean they don't just want what other people have, but they hate when other people get what they want to have. Now, I'm in this boat, right? Like, I can't tell you how many people do this, right? They're like, Jordan, you want to see my new car? And I'm like, no, I don't, right? Even worse, because I live in a small town, you want to see my lawnmower? No, I don't, right? Because I'm going to lust after said lawnmower, and I'm going to come to your house and steal said lawnmower, because malice leads to envy, and envy leads to hate, and I won't like you because you have what I want, right? That's my old sinful self is crucified with Christ. Lord, please release that from me, right? If only, if only it would go away. But here, the keeping up with the Joneses mentality gets thrown out the window when you come to Christ. You could be happy when people have stuff, right? Now I look at people and I say, oh, you got a new car? Man, that looks like so much responsibility. <laughs> a matter of fact, I said this to a couple of you when you have babies, right? You look at you like, oh, isn't my baby cute? I'm like, that looks like a lot of responsibility. Lord bless you and keep you and peace be among your household because it's not gonna last for a long time, Right? We have a, a couple in our church that breeds dogs, right? And they're like, you want a puppy? I'm like, no. The blessing of a puppy has passed the muck house, right? I want an old dog that lays on the floor and does nothing. <clears throat> an envious person's soul that has been unregenerated or unsaved, Paul tells Titus, Pastor Titus, is one that is corrupted as they can never be satisfied with what they have and will always crave, wor- crave more. That's the definition of worldliness. To be worldly is to never be satisfied with what you have and always craving more. Furthermore, Paul says malicious and envious people harvest hatred to themselves and others. In other words, hate is a natural fruit that comes from being malicious and envious. 
So along with Romans chapter one, here in Titus chapter three, Ephesians chapter two and verse four, this passage stands out as one of the most pathetic, penetrating descriptions of the New Testament human condition in all of its sinfulness and misery. Isn't it good to be in the house of God today? Like, did I help you out at all? Who you once were. The root problem, though, what Jesus tells us, it lies in our heart. So look at this. Go to Mark chapter 7, verse 20. Actually, you don't have to go there. I'll go there for you. It'll be on the screen. It says, that which proceeds out of the mouth of a man is what defiles a man. So Jesus says, let's go to the issue that is transpiring, and that is the heart. For uh, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds the evil thoughts. And then he gives that list again, all right? And he says, if we can change the inside, if we can change the heart, then we can change other things. If we can change the internal, the external will follow suit. If you can tell yourself in your mind who you are in Christ, your body will follow, right? The mind is always able to do more than the body can. So the mind has to be strong, and the mind is strong from a changed heart. So look at verse four. Who am I then? But. Oh, I love that word. Say it. Say but. Yeah, you said it in church. All right. When the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Now notice, there's no decision that's made yet. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, when it was manifested, Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, he came, took on bodily form. When it appeared, he saved us, not because of our works, praise the Lord. That's Ephesians, lest any man should boast. But he saved us according to his own mercy. He didn't have to, he wanted to. And by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, the old is gone, the new has come, verse six, whom he poured out to us, not partway, not 80%, not 90%. It says he poured out to us richly. He gave us richly. He gave us an inheritance that we could rightly receive, verse seven, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If that is not a beautiful description of who you are after Jesus, I don't know what is. Look at what he says. Life after Christ. Everything changed when the goodness and loving kindness, which is literally a love for mankind of our God, our Savior, appeared. Now, the, new, the ESV takes a little liberties here. Let me read it to you in a different way, how it should be read from the original Greek. It should say, but when the kindness of our God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. In other words... What you could not do for yourself, God initiated for you. John MacArthur says it like this. He says, in the short passage, Paul sweeps across glorious truths of salvation. He paints really broad strokes here. And every facet of which is sovereignly initiated and empowered by God alone, there are doctrines here that could be and should be studied and pondered for months without mining all of their truths. Here's my biggest concern and worry for the church that we are so passive in approaching that passage of scripture. 
If you contemplated that passage of scripture in your everyday conversations, your attitude would change and your actions would change and your attitude towards people would radically be different. You could see people through the lens of who they are in Christ, even though we struggle with sin, that God in his kindness, ESV, uses goodness, an attribute of God and a beneficial provision that meets the need of sinful man. This is the love that he has for mankind. And the word uh, that is used in love for mankind is the word where we get the word philanthropy, which means goodwill to fellow men or an effort to promote human welfare. So even people who are secular, that want to do good for humanity, are mirroring Christ in their life. Isn't that crazy? Like, you're acting like Jesus, and you don't even like Jesus. That's kind of fun. Next time you're at an event, right, where somebody is a philanthropist and, like, raising money, be like, hey, thank you so much for being like Christ. Next time, let's just share the gospel. (laughs) I don't know if they'll do it or not, but that appeared. Circle the word appeared, shined upon us, made visible. Salvation, faith in Christ. Jesus steps out of eternity into time, forms a man, shines forth openly, makes known his grace, makes known his kindness and his love and his salvation. And he says it's available to anybody, to all who receive him, to all who believe upon his name. He gave them the right to be children of God, heirs. Peter says it like this, what was foreknown before the foundation of the world has appeared for your sake. What? For your sake. Jesus has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And because of Christ and his work, look at what he says you are. You are number one. Verse five. Saved according to his kindness, love, and mercy. And if God is kind, and if God is loving, and if God is merciful, we have to be the same way to each other. I know it doesn't make sense. It's not fun, but sometimes we have to. This is where Jesus says, love your enemies. This is where Jesus constantly whispers to his disciples and to us that you are saved and rescued and redeemed from sin and death, not because of works, Yes, you have done, but according to the mercy of God. All three of those words, kindness, love, and mercy, represent aspects of God's grace. And you, as a believer, need to um, manifest those in your life. And a good way for you to understand or to find out if you're manifesting those things is ask your spouse after church. Please wait till after church. Preferably in your car on your way home. Number two, you are saved through regeneration. Now, the grace that comes in the second part of verse five, by the washing of regeneration is where we get our word born again. You ever heard somebody say that? Born again, I got saved, right? Well, that's where we get it from, right there. Regeneration is a return to former circumstances, a termination of capacity, or excuse me, captivity, and a restoration of health. In other words, what Paul is saying to Titus is, Titus, when you pastor your people and you talk to them about who they can be in Jesus Christ, I want you to tell them if they accept God through faith in Christ, they return back to the garden before sin. What? That their heart has been transformed, re, uh, renewed, regenerated, so that they have the ability to get a glimpse of what life was like before Adam and Eve sinned. 
The Greek word that is used here by classical writers references changes produced by the return of spring. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, the word is equivalent to the restoration of all things. So what? Well, in regeneration, believers are insisted to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means the heart has been changed, the mind has been changed. Now you have the ability to put on the new self and count yourself dead to sin and alive to God. In other words, Jesus tells his disciples and his followers the same thing that Paul told his disciples, the same thing that Titus is gonna tell his church. And I love this because I hate winter. Winter's gone, spring is here, celebrate the sunshine. And it further proves that winter is an effect of the fall. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Bethany loves winter. I think, I, I can't prove it, but I think it's, it's totally unbiblical. Anyway, <laughs> it says you should live in the light. And the light to me is sunshine and it's 90 degrees. And I mean, praise the Lord for that, right? Amen. Those of you who hate winter, I'm sorry. We're working on praying for your lost soul. I promise. <clears throat> okay. Okay, so saved through regeneration. Look at who you are as believers. Saved according to God's kindness, love, and mercy. Saved through regeneration. In other words, you have the ability to operate, right, essentially um, in a way which would be um, a relationship with God before the fall. And then third thing, he says you're saved through renewal. And the word renewal there means becoming something new and different by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says the same thing here that 2 Corinthians says. He says, if God poured out abundantly through Christ our Savior, that being justified by grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Both regeneration and renewal are spoken of as a washing from filth of sin. So what does that mean? That means slowly, day by day, minute by minute, second by second, I don't look like who I used to look like. That means conversations are different. That means my job situation is different. That means how I treat my spouse is different. That means how I treat my friends is different. That means how I treat my enemies is different. Slowly, minute by minute, day by day, because of the spirit that has been given to me, who's been poured out richly through Jesus Christ, my Savior, I have been given grace, I also give grace because I am an heir. Christianity, being a believer in Jesus Christ was never meant to be just vertical. It is also horizontal. That's why we do this every week. That's why we gather. That's why we are here. See, the language here intentionally invokes that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, where God's purpose in pouring out the spirit was so that you have been justified by his grace, you might become heirs having hope of eternal life. Some of the reason we're not overcoming our sin is because our dependency is upon the things of this world and not of this word, right? Like that's my huge concern for people is like, I don't know, Pastor Jordan, I don't know if I can do this. Well then, let's shut off the computer and let's get a cool flip phone from the 90s and let's just embrace this. Now that doesn't sound fun. Jesus was never meant to be fun. His joy comes in fulfillment of being disciplined. He puts parameters on your life so that you can be renewed and you embrace those parameters. You're like, I love this, right? And sometimes you're smart, I love this, this is so good. But what we see here is 
that the Holy Spirit, when he's intimately involved, he brings this stuff called fruit, and what started out as a seed now starts to sprout in our life, and all of a sudden we look at it and we go, whoa, how'd I get here? Because now you're picking fruit, right? And as you're picking fruit, you're thinking, when did that come up? When did that manifest? How did we get a garden? We got a garden because we watered it. We got a garden because we were disciplined in planting those seeds. And we didn't want to go out and water, but we went out and watered. And when we went out and watered, we saw it grow a little bit. And we got excited when it, when it grew a little bit. And then it continued growing. And now we're picking off fruit and we're eating fruit and we're having fun, right? So that which is not, track with me here, that which is not fun is delayed gratification because of the satisfaction you find in the sanctification of being with Christ. And what I mean is, the more you discipline yourself, the more awesome it is later. I think God loves delayed gratification. I think he's infatuated with it. James Smith says it like this. He says there's three R's. If we could, as believers, realize we're ruined by sin, we find redemption in Christ, and we're generated and renewed by the Holy Spirit, we would be joyful. And if we don't preach this, then we preach hell and we tell people that there's no escape. That passage of scripture is so powerful to me that I think we're, we're so passive with it. Look at this. God the Father loves us so much, and I'll speak slow because I know I speak fast sometimes, that he provides a redeemer for you when you were ruined. The son Jesus Christ's love for us means that he became our redeemer as a lost and ruined sinner that needs a second and a third and a fourth and a 15th chance. And the Spirit's love is revealing Christ the redeemer. He manifests blessings of his, of his redemption and all that we think, say, and do. And you are not who you once were. Church, you need to say that to yourselves all this week. I am not who I once was. I am alive in Christ. And that is enough. I've been given kindness and love and mercy and so I need to give that kindness and love and mercy away. Okay, so I have this, this last uh, thing, and I'm going to throw it away. And I'm going to give you a great example uh, from, from what just happened on Friday night. So Friday night, I'm going to turn 40 next Friday, so you guys can pray for me. <clears throat> 40 is the new 20. Because <clears throat> I look 20 sometimes. Bethany and I, uh, for, my, for my 40th, Bethany said, I want to take you to a concert. And I've been wanting to see this guy for a long time. I'm not going to say his name because he doesn't get that um, in the pulpit. Anyway, he doesn't love Jesus, I'm aware, <clears throat> right? But it's on my bucket list, and, and we love music, and we love uh, concerts. And he's not, he's not terrible by any means. He's not up there, like, swearing, all this other stuff. But, so we go, <clears throat> and we wait, and we wait, and we go, and we wait. And uh, all of a sudden, like, the show starts. And I'm like, this is so fun. I'm having a blast. And then I start looking around. And people ask me, they're like, hey, how was the concert on Friday night? I was like, he was awesome, but the crowd was not so awesome. Because here's what happened. Be careful what you pray for because you just might get it. And I'm watching this manifest and I'm watching this kind of like transpire, right, in my, in my life. And I'm seeing these people who are idolistically worshiping this musician. Their hands are raised. They're speaking in his tongue my hands are in my pocket. Their hands are full of alcohol. Their, their, their lungs are full of smoke. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm watching this thing transpire in, in my life. And somebody asked me the other day, how was the concert? And I responded to him like this. I said, 
the musician was amazing, but his fans not so much. Bethany and I were dumbfounded on the idol worship and debauchery that was taking place. So many people were embracing, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. They just let their emotion take over, and logic just ceased. And then I said, good grief, I am 40, listen to me. (laughs) Anyway, there was a moment where I stopped and thought to myself, and I've never heard God speak audibly, but I heard this. You've come a long way, Jordan. But then my heart breaks because I think, don't forget these people need the Lord just like you needed the Lord. Like, don't lose sight of these, these people who are, are broken and need Jesus, and they can manifest fruit too. If Paul can come to know Christ, these people can come to know Christ. And it was a hard balance of conviction and compassion. I just went back and forth the whole night, and the band was amazing, and I'm just like, I'm convicted, and I'm compassionate, and I'm convicted. And I'm like, Lord, can I ever take off the lens of Scripture? And his answer was, no. Those glasses never come off, my friend. Those got to stay on. And I just watched, I wanted to watch the show. I just wanted to get lost in it. But I couldn't ignore the crowd. And my pastor's heart was heavy. But I don't think it was my pastor's heart. I think it was just the fact that I love the Lord and I wanted people to realize that this joy that was being manifested, that they thought was fruit, was really not fruit. And it's not just in that concert setting. It happens in everyday life too, right? It happens all over the place. We see it at workplaces. We see it in marriages. We see it with friendships. And we just think to ourselves, Lord, give me the desire and that person's desire to be fruitful for you because of what you have done, that I've been justified by his grace and I'm an heir according to the hope of eternal life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the truths that are contained in your word. What a stark reminder of what we were before salvation through Christ. And if anybody who's here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, it's not hard. But it does take humbling yourself. There's a little white book in front of you and it says the gospel. It shows you that you're a sinner and in need of a savior. It shows you how to do that, and it's very simple. It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that his blood covers your sins, you'll be saved. If you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, make the best decision you'll ever make. I didn't say it'll be easy, but it'll be worth it. And for those of us, Lord, who are gathered here today that know you as Savior, I just want to thank you for the progress. I'm not even close to being where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I once was. And I think we all could echo that, Lord, that you have saved us by your grace and your mercy. You had compassion on us as sinners, and we thank you. We just want to pause, and we just want to thank you for washing away our sins and making us new people in Christ, and you give us the power of the Holy Spirit, and we want to say thank you. Would you just whisper that today? Just say thank you. Thank you that we've been saved by grace through faith and trust in you. And as we contemplate today, Christ dying on the cross in our place, we're overwhelmed with these grateful hearts 
and heartfelt praise for all you have done and the things that you are doing and things that you will do. And we pray that we wouldn't be passive with this scripture, Lord. That we would take heart the warnings and instructions that are given in this little letter to Titus. And that we would do service for you this week. That we would right wrong relationships. And that we would find restoration in the gospel. And we would seek one another's best as you sought our best on the cross. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray, the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.